Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Retro Time Podcast. I'm Jeremy, and it's going to be just me today. I know, I'm very sorry. There's no Derek, but it's the holidays. Derek and I have been traveling everywhere, New Orleans and Massachusetts and here and there and everywhere. Uh, Derek was in Las Vegas a couple weeks back for, for the AWS reInvent conference. So we've been super busy, but I've got something for you today that I think you're going to love. For those who don't know, I have another podcast really focused on UX design called Beyond UX Design. And today's kind of a crossover episode. I recorded an episode a couple of weeks ago for Beyond UX Design talking a lot about how to network internally once you land your job. A lot of people think they can just stop networking the minute they land their job. And I believe very strongly that that's not a very smart thing to do. So today, I've got an episode that I recorded for Beyond UX Design talking about that. You might hear me talking there a lot about UX designer specifically, but if you're a software engineer, product manager, anybody else that's not specifically a UX designer, just ignore that and just assume we're talking about you because I think it'll apply regardless of your title. So I hope you enjoy it. And if you're a UX designer or you just want to learn more about UX design, feel free to follow my other show, Beyond UX Design. You can check it out at beyonduxdesign.com or wherever you find great podcasts. I know a lot of people dread networking. The idea of going to some silly event after work is the last thing they want to do. But networking is so much more than just showing up to a bar, slapping on a name tag, and shuffling around for 45 minutes before you go home. I know a lot of people look at networking as a necessary evil, something that they dread doing, something they think only kiss asses and brown nosers do. Some people think networking seems forced or fake. Some people feel like they're just bugging people or bothering them. Understanding why we network might help to give you a little bit of an incentive to get out there and get to know more people, especially after you've already gotten the job. There are a few really good reasons to continue networking internally after you, you land your next gig. Some of them may seem somewhat selfish at first or like you're, you're playing into the political game, but I would encourage you to think about the benefits to the entire organization. It can't hurt anyone if you get to know more people in your organization. It helps the company and it helps your team get their work done. A lot of the silly politics that people see going on, I think, has a lot to do with people not really understanding other people's motives. And more often than not, we assume malintent when there most likely isn't anything nefarious going on. Here are a few key benefits to networking internally that I've kind of come up with. And a lot of this depends on the size of your company that you work for. And if you end up at a startup with 15 people, then maybe a lot of this might not happen naturally. But I think the bigger your team or your organization, the more impact these things might have on your career long-term. So first, it'll help build your social capital. Second, insights from other teams add context. Third, cross-functional collaboration becomes easier. Four, it makes your job easier. Five, it'll help you find a mentor. Six, it'll help with your career growth. And then lastly, It'll open up a lot of internal opportunities that you might not have otherwise been able to find. And I'm sure we could come up with more than these. And again, some of these might not apply if you're, you're only working with 15 people, but these are just some kind of things that I've come up with. So let's talk about building your social capital. The first thing I think is worth thinking about is this idea of social capital. This is something that not a lot of junior designers think about until they start to move up in their careers. But I am convinced that thinking about this now will put you far ahead of your peers when it comes to career growth later. 
So McKinsey and Company, one of the big global consulting agencies, defines social capital as the presence of networks, relationships, shared norms, and trust among individuals, teams, and business leaders. And a good way to think about it is that it's the glue that kind of holds your organization together. It's all the, the people that you know. It's the shared language that you use. It's the culture of your team, all of that stuff. And it's your standing within that ecosystem. It's how well you are known within that ecosystem. The more social capital you have, the better and easier your job will become. And lots of research has been done on high-performing teams. And the big thing with high-performing teams is that they trust each other. They get along really well. And they aren't afraid to talk to one another. And ultimately, high-performing teams tend to have psychologically safe environments. And because they feel safe, they aren't afraid to challenge each other and to push each other, which ultimately helps them to become better. So what does this have to do with networking? Well, I hope it's obvious, but if, if not, you don't get to build relationships without networking. So to dive more into relationships and how to do that, take a listen to episode six, where we talked about some tactics that can help you build strong relationships with your team. So again, all of these things help to build your social capital and the social capital of your team, which only helps everybody improve performance in the long run. Next, insights from other teams add context. Now, because you're building up all this social capital, this leads directly to the benefit of improved clarity into what other teams are doing. And this means more insight from other teams, and that also means that you get more context a lot sooner, hopefully well before you actually need the context. Now, as a UX professional, I hope one thing has become clear from all of my ranting and raving that solving problems is our number one priority. Those are user problems and business problems. And you can't solve either without the right context. And that context comes from that larger organization. And designing our products in a silo doesn't help anybody in the long run. And if our organization is really big, that context can get muddier and muddier and murkier and murkier. And the more that we are removed from other conversations, the harder our jobs become. Now, also remember that as UX professionals, it's critical for our success to understand the business problems, not just the problems of the user. And hopefully these things are aligned, but it's really important for us to take those business constraints into account as we do our day-to-day work. I'll give you an example. You might be talking to users and they're expressing all kinds of pain points and all kinds of issues and things, and they tell you all about their day-to-day and they tell you their process and everything else. But somewhere, somebody in the business is rethinking how those people should work. Talking to those people and getting their insights about what they do today doesn't mean anything if the business is going to change how they work tomorrow. Now, how would you know that? Well, hopefully someone's telling you that and hopefully somebody knows that you're working on this problem, but that isn't always the case. So using your social capital to gain insights and context is a huge advantage of networking internally. Cross-functional collaboration becomes easier. Similar to the one above, I think this benefit focuses more on the execution of the problem versus gaining situational awareness like context. We use the context to help us better execute with our partners and our cross-functional teams. Let's think about this scenario. You've been tasked with designing an interface for the sales team to add some information to some system to help decrease the contract turnaround time. And you've been told by various stakeholders that this needs to be done by the end of the quarter to, I don't know, meet whatever sales goals the company has set up. So you've got a sales team that's counting on you to try to deliver this product to help them do their work more efficiently. And they've got these goals and these deadlines that they're hoping you can help them with. So let's say you don't really know anybody very well outside of your direct team. So you dig in, I don't know, maybe you do some interviews, you start mapping out a process, you do your validation with the sales team's users, whatever it is you do. And a couple of things can happen here. 
First, you could go do all this work in a silo, not discussing anything outside of your core team. And they come to find out another team is working on something similar down the hall. And you've just wasted time that you could be spending on something else that is actually adding value. Now, you might be saying, that's impossible, that'll never happen. If you've ever worked in a large company, I can promise you that happens more often than you know. Or maybe the tool that you're designing has a bunch of dependencies. Those dependencies wouldn't be ready in time, which means that the tool you're working on wouldn't be ready in time and it wouldn't be useful for maybe another year. So in both of these scenarios, not networking means that you're spinning your wheels, you're doing a bunch of unnecessary work that didn't add value for anybody, not the users nor the business. And you could have been spending your time maybe focusing on something that did add some value. An alternative scenario is that by doing some of this networking, you can start to connect the dots sooner. Maybe offer some help. Maybe put some people in contact who who can help deliver that dependency sooner. So doing this might help to get you, your tool available to the user sooner than if some executive was in charge of directing everybody to do these things. You're the one in the weeds. You're the one doing the work. You know much better than the people sitting in the corner office. Now you might be thinking, hey, I'm just a UX designer. That's not my job. That's the job of my boss. And I would say, well, yeah, you're right. (laughs) But remember that bosses aren't always great leaders. And often these types of things happen organically because the supervisors and those middle managers are usually far removed and they don't have the clear insight into the day-to-day things that you might be aware of. And as UX professionals, I really believe that putting users first, it opens up our horizons and we can work to solve problems for users by doing a lot of the stuff that we wouldn't think would be traditionally our quote-unquote job. So by making these connections and helping to move the process along, Aren't you helping your users get the tools they need to do their job? You're helping to solve a problem. Who cares what tool you're using? Could be a conversation, could be Figma, it doesn't matter. You're helping the users get the thing sooner. And next, it makes your job easier. I hope it's clear that these two previous things just ultimately help to make our jobs easier. Getting to know the larger team and using that to sort of grease the wheels a little bit, to get things moving, it can't hurt in any way. So all of this makes your job easier. It helps you to know who to go to sooner. It helps you to know who can help you get something done when you need something done. It helps you to know what other people care about and what their priorities are so that you can frame important conversations around what they want and need versus only around what you want. If you listen to the last episode about storytelling, one of the important parts was knowing your audience here, right? So how do you tell a compelling story if you don't know who you're talking to? You know who you're talking to because you've been networking. It helps you to know how to influence those teams and find a good solution for everybody. Next, it'll help you find a mentor. And this is something that a lot of junior professionals overlook until later in their careers, but finding a mentor early can help you in so many ways. And a good mentor will help you navigate the organization's politics faster. A good mentor can help you understand what you need help with sooner. A good mentor can help you identify your strengths and build on those strengths. A good mentor should be open and honest when you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. A good mentor can set all the right expectations and be a really good source of reason. A good mentor can help with career pathing. And a good mentor can really help you grow faster than you ever would on your own. Now, obviously, you can find a mentor outside of your company, but if you find somebody inside of your company, they're going to be able to give you a lot more help with the context of your company specifically, which can ultimately benefit you a whole lot. And this really is important for you, especially if you're just starting out in your career. Now, obviously, it'll help with career growth. And this is something a mentor can definitely help you with if you think about building up your human capital and improving yourself. 
But if you continue to network after you get the job, it can help you by opening up real opportunities inside and maybe even outside of work. And the more you build this social capital, you tend to improve your reputation at work. And people will start to think about you for promotions, perhaps, or they might think of you for special projects or think about giving you more responsibility. And this could potentially mean more money and it may even mean more opportunities for future growth, right? It's kind of like a snowball. And not everybody stays at a company forever, at least not usually. So these people that you've built relationships with and you've gotten to know by networking, they might leave. They might bring opportunities to you that you might have never heard about otherwise. Maybe you've gotten to know somebody in the director level in your current position. That person might leave, take on a higher role, maybe CIO at another company. They might reach out to you a year or so down the road about an opportunity to work for them. And this could be something you never would have found on Indeed or Monster, LinkedIn or whatever. This person has you in mind. And there's a good chance you won't be competing with a lot of other people. Could also lead to internal opportunities. Something that is sort of related to the previous one, but worth calling out on its own, because I think it's different enough, is networking internally might open up a lot of internal opportunities that you may have otherwise never heard about. And this might only apply to larger companies that do this kind of thing. This probably won't apply at a smaller startup with 15 people, but a lot of times larger companies will post internal roles that are not posted anywhere outside of the company. So you'll never find these roles searching on job listing websites. And maybe somebody left a team in another org and they're looking to backfill that position. It might be a completely new position. Finding somebody who already works at the company reduces a lot of the time and effort to get somebody onboarded. They already have a badge. They already have a computer. They already understand the ins and outs of the company and how everything works. So hiring internally often is just a much better option for larger companies. This happens a lot. Now, in these cases, how would you ever know about this job if somebody didn't tell you about it? Maybe your company has an internal job list somewhere, but this might not always be the case. Somebody that you've been networking with might think about you specifically for the role, or you might hear about an opening by keeping your ear to the ground and you know who to ask about it. Either way, you likely wouldn't know about these roles unless you were actively networking and keeping in touch with all of these different people. The nice thing about this too is that it might keep you from quitting a company that you might otherwise really like simply because you aren't happy in your current position. Maybe you don't like your core team. Maybe you don't like the product that you're on. Maybe you can use this as a way to get a higher level or a promotion or a raise without quitting and leaving the company altogether. So if you work for a larger company, this is a really great advantage of keeping those internal relationships going strong. All right, so if all this stuff sounds great to you, but you're wondering, where do you start? It's kind of overwhelming. Maybe you're starting a new job and you're already stressed out (laughs) with everything that you have to do to get up and running in your new role. Or maybe you've been at your company for a little bit, but you just have no idea how to reach out to new people. And look, this can be a lot harder to do if you're fully remote. I totally understand. But start with your core team. The first thing that you should do is start where you are. Start where you are. Start with the people that you already know. And if you aren't already doing regular one-on-ones with your teams, this is a really great time to start regular one-on-ones. It's not just for you and your manager. This is the time for you to have informal chats, keep your ear to the ground, help you connect the dots with other things. And just make sure that you're you're building your situational awareness. And these one-on-ones are obviously good for networking, but this is really going to help you become more effective in your role anyway. So even if you aren't trying to network, you should really be doing this. And be strategic about it. From here, you need to figure out who else you should know and think about why you should know them. Maybe you're on one team that does one thing, but you're interested in something else that the company does. You might ask around to see who else is on that other team. 
use your current network and ask, ask them. Or maybe your company has an internal directory like Workday or something and you, and you can look up organizations and poke around that way. Have a good reason for why you're reaching out. Maybe you just want to get to know them. That's fine. Maybe you want more information about what they're working on. That's cool. Maybe because you think it might align with your current projects and you just think it's good for you to know each other. That's totally great. It could be something else entirely though. But in this case, I like to send a little direct message using whatever tool, you know, Slack or Teams or something, and then tell them why you want to reach out and ask if it's okay to set up maybe 25 minutes. And again, not too much time. Don't take up a full half hour. Give them some time to go to the bathroom or get a coffee before their next meeting. It, again, it, you know, just like we talked about with, with networking before, it just shows that you value their time. And from there, see how that conversation goes. Maybe your teams are aligned and it makes sense to have a regular one-on-one, maybe a bi-weekly, a monthly, quarterly, ad hoc, whatever. You know what's best, go with that. You don't have to have a regular one-on-one if you don't find it to be useful. Next is affinity groups. Not every company has these, but a lot do. These could be just informal groups that coworkers maybe set up to connect with with interests. For instance, where I work, we have an African-American forum. We have an LGBTQ plus ally group. We have a veterans group. We have an Asian Pacific Alliance group. We have a parents network. This is a great way to just start a conversation with people that you would have likely never met otherwise. And in this case, what's cool is they, they likely have a different position completely. Maybe they're completely outside of your core team or UX or software. And affinity groups are just a great way to get to know people across your company that have a similar interest. So this is a great place to start. Next, don't skip the small talk. I mentioned this in my episode about building relationships, but this is so important. When you have these one-on-ones, don't just jump right into business. Get to know the people on the other end first. Find out how you can help them and you can't figure that out without asking and talking and listening. And it's really similar to networking before you get the job, but just get to know these people on a personal level. And when you have meetings, spend the first few minutes asking how people are doing, how their weekend was, if they have any big plans for the weekend, how's the kids' soccer match, whatever it is. Just don't make it all about work. That stuff will come for sure. But make sure that you build trust first. And that small talk is critical to building trust. Use your verbal cues. If you haven't checked out episode seven where I talked about Vanessa Van Edwards' book, Cues, now is a good time to go back and listen to that section specifically about warmth cues. Check out the book in general because a lot of that book will directly help you here as well. It's really useful. So not to get too deep into it, but remember that the first impressions are really important. Make sure you sound warm and use some of those verbal warm-up cues like, hey, Beth, I'm really excited to get to talk to you. Thanks for taking the time to, to chat. Use listening sounds like, ah, oh, oh, really? Oh, wow. And use encouraging words like, yes, oh, fascinating. Oh, that's really interesting. Get your conversation partner to keep talking. And use those emotional and vocal variety to make yourself sound interesting. Obviously, the more interesting you sound, the more they're going to want to talk to you on a regular basis. Vanessa Van Edwards' team did a ton of research for the book, and they have some really fascinating studies that they did to prove a lot of this stuff really works. So try to use these cues and check out episode seven where I dive into this in more more detail. And obviously grab that book because it's a really good book. And when you talk with all these different people, especially people outside your team, ask them who else they think you should talk to. You can say something like, I'm really interested in diving more into this process. Is there somebody else that you think I should talk to to get a different perspective? Or is there somebody else who might know more? Or just, is there somebody else you think I should meet? They'll tell you exactly who to reach out to. And then when you do, you can say, hey, Jim in accounting suggested I reach out to you to find more information about blah, 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 blah. Do you mind if I buy you a coffee? We can spend 25 minutes digging into it. Whatever. The tactic makes growing a network a lot easier. And remember that this will also help you and your team to get work done in the future. It's not all about schmoozing and ass kissing. 
And there's some other random things I think you can try to think about your personal brand and what you want to be known for and see if there's some interesting ways to network that show off your personality. So I'll give you an example. My buddy Derek from the Retro Time Podcast and I, we did this silly thing for a while at work. Not a lot of people know this, but Derek and I actually worked together for a long time. And we were part of an org that had almost a thousand people. It's a giant team. And that's just software. That wasn't the functional people that we worked with on a daily basis. That was just software. So we noticed a problem. Because the organization was so big, people tended to work in silos because obviously knowing what a thousand people were working on was nearly impossible, right? And because Derek and I were kind of known around the office as the two dudes at the podcast, we said, hey, what if we do a podcast style interview with various people on the team and then we can ask them silly questions and record it and we can put it on Slack. So not only did we get to meet all these random people, but everybody else in the team got to meet them too. So we called it Makers on Teams Drinking Coffee. And every month we, we would interview some random person from the team and ask them a bunch of silly questions. My company uses a, a, an insane amount of internal acronyms and we played this silly game where we would ask them what the acronym was and they had to guess. Spoiler alert, pretty much nobody got them right. And big companies, if you're listening, please stop using acronyms. You're just confusing people. And the best part about this is at the end, Derek would play some song about them that he made up uh, on the fly. It was awesome. And not only did this give us an opportunity to meet random people, but it also gave our teams the opportunity to get to know them too. And it also built our brand within the company and people felt more comfortable talking to me and Derek and they weren't afraid to reach out. And the connections we made, I'm convinced, have helped us to be more effective at our jobs. And all of this by having a silly conversation and posting it on Slack. So that's just an example of something that you can do. Feel free to use the idea, I don't care, or come up with something completely different. You're UX designers out there. I think you're fairly creative. I'd love to know what you come up with. So hit me up and let me know. I'd love to see it. So lastly, I want to stress that these things work really well for me, but I am definitely not an introvert. Clearly, I think you, you might be able to tell I'm an extrovert. There are probably a lot of people out there listening who at this point have had a nervous breakdown thinking about doing any of this stuff with their teams. So I wanted to go through some tips that I found online for helping introverts to network. And I think just because you're an introvert does not mean that you can't do this. So the first thing I would suggest is just do what makes you comfortable. For instance, maybe you find virtual networking easier. Awesome, do that. That's probably the norm nowadays anyway. Remember, this has a lot to do with asking a question and shutting up and listening. So you really shouldn't be talking the whole time anyway. And introverts are usually really good at listening. So you're set up for success. Maybe you're not great at coming up with questions on the fly. That's fine. Have some notes handy to make sure that you remember to ask some specific questions. Maybe that podcast interview idea is completely out of the question, but maybe you can do something where you maybe send a list of questions and you put that together in a blog post and you share that with the team. I don't know. I'm probably not the best person to give networking advice for introverts, and there's probably a ton more resources that you can find online if any of these ideas give you the cold sweats. But what I want everybody out there to remember is that networking is great for your career. It's great for you personally and professionally. It's going to improve your effectiveness at work, and it will not only help you, but it'll help your team in the long run as well. All right, y'all, that's it for today. Check us out at RetroTimePodcast.com. Get yourself some stickers at RetroTimePodcast.com slash stickers. And Derek and I, I'm telling you, at some point, we are going to meet up and we're going to record those five-star review jams. So if you want to leave a five-star review, make sure you check us out at RetroTimePodcast.com slash reviews. Write a five-star review. Get your very own review jam. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter at RetroTimePodcast.com. Until next time, we'll see you. Derek.
Where you at? 